Hey, welcome everybody. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for joining us and especially for all of you who are watching online. It's uh, great to have you out there. Thank you so much for, for being there and for those of you who are under the tent as well. Uh, good morning to all of you. Well, um, recently I met a retired pastor and his wife. They live in the Bay Area of, of Northern California and uh, he retired from ministry after about 50 years of ministry. Amazing, amazing man. And, and I asked him, I said, so now that you're retired, uh, what church do you attend in, in Northern Cal? He said, well, we attend your church. He said, we watch online every single weekend and South Bay has become our church. And so I thought I was just floored by that. So Pastor George, if you're watching, I want to say hello to you. Um, a month ago, I ran into a a friend who lives in the Seattle area. I didn't realize she had moved up there with her daughter. And so I asked her, hey, so hey, there's some good churches up here in Seattle. Um, what church do you go to? She said, well, we go to your church. We, we, we watch every single weekend. My daughter and I watch your church. And then last weekend, right here in our lobby, I met a young couple. Uh, here, they were here for the very first time from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And uh, they came out here. They were visiting they were visiting her parents who go to another church here in the South Bay, and they said, well, now that we're here, we want to go to our church, South Bay Community Church. So they were here last weekend all the way from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I think I was just really amazed. They told me that, that we helped them get through the pandemic. So, And then back around the spring, I, I met a, a family out in our lobby and the, the Liu family, the Liu family, and they were visiting from Singapore. And I said, "Oh, great! What, what brings you out here? Are you on vacation? Are you visiting family?" And they said, "No, no, no. We just came from Singapore to check out your church." I says, "What, what do you mean?" She said, "Well, we're we're thinking about moving to California, and uh, we found you online. We've been watching you online, and and but we decided before we make the final move, we needed to check out the church. We needed to see the church in person. So they came out in the spring just to check out the church." all the way from Singapore, and uh, they must have liked what they saw because I saw them a few weeks ago. They moved out here, and they're attending our church, and so that is so sweet. You know, when I hear those kind of stories, it just really, uh, really blesses me to no end, and it reminds me of something that that great uh, Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said. Charles Spurgeon said, the church is the dearest place on earth. Isn't that great? It is the dearest place on earth, and I think he's right. There's no place like the church. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a series here called What We Believe, and we've been kind of working through all the core tenets uh, of the scriptures, and uh, we talked about who God is, and we talked about who Jesus is, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, and uh, last week, Pastor Greg kicked us off talking about that dearest place on earth, the church, and I want to continue on that topic today, but, but before I do, I want to open up our time in prayer, and uh, before, before you, you know, before you pray, I just want to say this, you know, um, I've heard a lot of people going through some really tough times lately, a lot of tough times, um, and a lot of issues, a lot of people are sick, and not just with COVID, but with all kinds of other things, with all kinds of other ailments. Uh, I've heard of people uh, struggling in our church with anxiety and depression, and some are make, having a hard time making ends meet. Some are struggling in their relationships with the people around them. Uh, surgeries are coming up for some people, some major surgeries coming up. Um, others have just come through some huge surgeries. Uh, others like Pastor Igor and Lena um, are, are just battling to stay alive. I heard from him last night, and um, he told me that they live in a 25-story apartment building. They live on the 12th 
floor. They live there and they sleep in the bathtub uh, because they, if their building gets rocked by a cruise missile, they think that'll give them a little more protection. But he says the, the siren, the alarms go off about five times a night, on average about five times a night. And he said, we've just gotten to the point where we can't keep running down 12 stairs of 12 flights of stairs because the elevators don't work and then going back up and then going back down again. So he says, we just decided every time it goes up, we're just going to stay hunkered down in our apartment building or in our apartment and, uh, and pray and hope that, that, um, that the cruise missiles won't hit our building. And so he said, continue to pray for us. We're thankful to be alive. Uh, so I want to pray for him. He said they, they're, they're busy. They're repairing the roof. Uh, on the, one of their seminary buildings. He said they're, they're starting a new seminary uh, chapter in Poland because he said there are 3 million Ukrainian refugees in Poland. He said they are preaching the gospel on the streets and they're just trying to help people. And he says everything is so expensive. And so I'm going to talk to the elders about let's We'll send them some more uh, funds this week. Uh, wire that to them and, and see if we can help them some way. But, you know, there's so many things like that that are going on. And I know it is impossible for me to know what you're going through, all of you who are online. Possible for me to know what you're going through. But, but God knows. He knows everything. He knows what your deepest needs are. He knows what your greatest hurts are. And he knows what you, what's on your lips, your prayer requests for yourself and maybe for a loved one. And so this morning as I open up our time in prayer, I want to invite you Maybe as a way to just let God know that you need prayer today. Maybe just to place your hand on your heart or maybe just to lightly lift up your hand and say, yes, God, I, I need prayer today. I need your touch today. And I promise you, I guarantee you, he will know exactly what those needs are. And though as I pray, even if I may not cover what your needs are, I know that God knows and God will touch your heart, okay? So let's pray. And again, if you feel led, place a hand on your heart Maybe just lift up a hand and say, God, yeah, I need prayer. And you think about what that is, and you lift that up to him as well as we pray together, okay? Well, Father, thank you so much. We thank you so much for who you are. Father, there's no one like you. It is amazing to us. There are hundreds of people, you know, watching online or here this morning. And, Lord, yet you know every one of our needs. You know what we're going through. You know what we're struggling with. It might be a health issue. It might be a, an emotional issue. It might be a financial issue. It might be just an issue of just trying to stay alive. But whatever it is, God, will you, will you touch us? Will you reach out and touch the ones right now who've indicated to you that they need prayer, that they need your touch? Father, you look down on this place and you look down in the, the living rooms of homes all across the country and you see people with their hands on their hearts and their, or their hands lifted up saying, Lord, we need you, I need you. So Father, you know what those needs are. Father, will you touch them? Will you bring healing to them? Will you bring comfort to them? Will you give them strength? Father, will you give them power, the power of your Holy Spirit to get through the things that they're get, going through? Lord, just this week I heard about a, a baby boy who was diagnosed with leukemia. Father, I, we just want to lift that little boy up to you. Lord, as he begins to get treatments, God, will you bring healing to that little boy and give courage and strength to his mom and dad? I can't even imagine, God, how, how absolutely devastated they are. And God, I pray that, that they would turn their hearts to you and open their eyes to you. And Father, help all of us to do that. And Lord, we lift up 
Pastor Igor and Lena to you. Father, we, we lift up their lives and ask God for your continued protection over them. Father, thank you for the courage that you've given to them to, to be there in Ukraine in the midst of all these missiles that are exploding all around them. We pray, God, that you would send your mighty power to be upon their building and you would protect them and keep, keep every missile and every bomb away from them. And Father, use them to do ministry on the streets of Kiev and throughout Ukraine as they establish a uh, satellite uh, ministry campus in Poland and as they do work there. And God, continue to lead us as a church that we might help them in any way that we can. So Father, we love you. We thank you so much again for who you are, that you hear us. And Lord, I know, I believe with all my heart that you're gonna touch every single one of us today. So thank you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So good to have the Lord, isn't it? So good to, to know that he answers prayer. Well, for all of you who've been wondering, my wife Cheryl came home from Uganda about a week ago last, this last Thursday. And I want to thank all of you who prayed for her. She said to me that this was probably the best trip that she ever had there, that she's been there nine times and her best trip. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the unexpected blessing for her is that when they arrived there, they heard about a family, a family of six that was living in a shack and they decided to pull their money. Again, this was not anything that was budgeted. The team pulled their money and decided to build them a home. And it was a, a home that was made out of brick, brick by brick. And here, here are the two houses right here, side by side. And in the foreground is the shack that the family of six used to live in. And in the background is the, their brand new two bedroom house uh, made out of brick with doors and windows and, and all the, and they even poured cement. So they have a cement floor instead of dirt, a dirt floor. So when it rains, it doesn't get all muddy. And after it was finished, the home was finished, the team furnished the family with brand new mattresses and sheets and blankets and, and pillows and a, a nice housewarming gift. And uh, they couldn't contain their joy. You know, I love the imagery. I love the imagery of a house because it illustrates what a church is. And that is a church is a family. It's a family. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about what the church is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And you can follow along all these verses uh, on our uh, South Bay Community Church app. Always have your Bible handy and, of course, a pad of paper so you can take notes. But we'll also put them up here for you on the screen. But here's what Paul said about what the church is in Ephesians 2.19. He said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, you're not homeless people, you're not strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are members of the household of God. That, notice that last phrase, highlighted for you, members of the household of God. The Greek word for household is oikeoi, oikeoi, and it means family. That's what it means. And so this verse tells us that the family isn't a collection of strangers and homeless people, but the church is a family. It is not a collection of strange people or strangers, but it is a family. And Paul used the same word in 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, family, and members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. Again, the Greek word for household in 1 Timothy 5.8 is oikeoi. It is family. So if you don't, what he was saying here, if you don't provide for members of your family, well then shame on you. That's kind of what he was saying here. And so scripture tells us very clearly the church is a family. 
It isn't a building. And we often refer uh, to buildings as churches, and I get that, but the church is, in fact, a family. And we are a family by virtue of the fact that we share in the same Father, our Heavenly Father. And you become a part of God's family in the same way that these two little ones became a part of our family 15 years ago. This is Carmel and Coconut Shiohama. Carmel, and, Carmel is on the right and his sister uh, Coconut is on the left. Now, I don't have all the details, but we found out that one day a chihuahua and a poodle got together and they made babies. They made babies, and I don't know which one was the mother or the father. Looks like the, 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 the father is the poodle in this one because he's got a flower. But, but so, so they had babies, including Carmel and Coconut, and they are half Mexican. That's the Chihuahua in them, and they are half French. That's the poodle in them, all right? So you Hawaiians would call them Hapa. So that's, that's what our dogs are. And when, when Cheryl laid eyes on them for the very first time, it was love at first sight. And she said, oh, we just have to adopt them into our family. And so, you know, you always do what your wife wants. And so we did. And, and they've been with us ever since. They even get a seat at the table, at the dinner table every single night. Well, here's how, here's how Paul said we came to be part of God's family. Here's how it happened. Ephesians 1 verse 4. He wrote, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, Paul said that the way we became a part of God's family, we came to be part of God's family, was through adoption. God chose us and he adopted us. We weren't born into his family. We didn't decide, wake up one day and decide we wanted to become a part of God's family. Therefore, we went online and filled out an application. No, God chose us and he adopted us to be part of God's family. Now, the dictionary definition for the word adoption is this. It is, quote, to take by choice into a relationship. That's adoption, to take by choice into a relationship. It is a choice. And uh, that's, what, that's what adoption is. And that's what God did. He took you by choice and put, him into a, put, him, put you in a relationship with him. He took you by choice and put you into his family. And so when the Apostle Paul wrote this passage, it was around 60 A.D. He was in a Roman prison uh, for preaching the gospel. Back then, uh, in Roman culture, adoption was a really big deal. And there were four principles at play in Roman adoption. Let me tell you what they were. First, once a person was adopted, that adoptee's relationship with their family of origin, if they had a relationship with the family of origin, was completely severed. It was completely cut off. They had no more relationship with their family of origin. The adoptee didn't. Second, the adoptee became heir to all of his father and mother's possessions. Once they were adopted, they got all of their father's and mother's uh, possessions. They received all the rights and privileges that came with being his or her son and daughter or daughter. Third, according to Roman law, the former life of the adoptee was, was also completely wiped away. And the adoptee was given a brand new legal name as if that adoptee was just born. Fourth, in the eyes of the Roman law, the adoptee was literally and absolutely, once they were adopted, the child of his or her new father and mother. And they became the apple of their mother's eye, or the apple of their father's eye. And to sum it up, if you were adopted in Roman culture, it meant that you were incredibly special. You were incredibly special. And a father and a mother who adopted a son or a daughter would have never thought, well, you're not my real son or you're not my real daughter because you were adopted. 
that would never have entered their mind because the relationship formed by adoption was as strong as blood. That was Paul's understanding of adoption when he wrote this passage. And therefore, when he used the word adopted to describe what God did for us, he did it. He used that word to convey the magnitude of God's benevolence toward us. You are his child, 100%. That's what this word means. You are his heir. You bear his name. You are precious in his sight. That's what it means to be adopted by God. And the only way we can become a part of God's family is if he adopts us. So how are we adopted? How are you adopted into God's family? Well, this is the uncanny part. God officially adopts you when you put your faith in Christ he adopts you when you put your faith in Christ. In other words, the moment you believe that Jesus was God's son, you're adopted into his family. We see this in Romans 8, 15, verse 15, or 8, Romans 8, 15. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. The spirit, the Holy Spirit that you receive when you become a Christian doesn't make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And we... And uh, by him we cry, cry, Abba, Father. So when, when you receive Christ, the moment you believe in Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, was raised, the moment you believe that, then you, are, you receive the Holy Spirit into your life, and the Holy Spirit brings about your adoption. In other words, your adoption is sealed, becomes official at the point of your conversion when Christ comes into your heart. And... Uh, that means we're adopted. If you've received Christ, that means you're adopted. So why don't you do this, all right? If you've received Christ, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm adopted. I'm adopted. We have a lot of people in, our room, in this room who have been adopted, all right? You know, when we, when we decided to adopt Carmel and Coconut, um, there was only one criteria we used to choose them. There was only one criteria. You know, take a look at the picture again. It was we chose them because they were cute, that's the only reason, really. I mean, we, hadn't, we didn't do any personality studies. We had no idea about their background. I mean, you know, we knew a little bit about the father and the mother, their poodle and chihuahua, but that, the only reason we adopted them was because they were cute. I mean, look at those faces, right? And they're still cute even after 15 years. I mean, in, 50, in human years, they are 105 years old, right? And I, I hope Cheryl thinks I'm cute when I'm 105. But you know what's amazing about the criteria that God uses to adopt us? You know what's it's incredible, the criteria he uses to adopt us. What's incredible is that he doesn't have any criteria. Do you know that? God doesn't have any criteria for why he would adopt you into his family. I mean, he didn't adopt you into his family because you're cute. He didn't adopt you into his family because you're beautiful or you're good looking. He didn't adopt you into his family because you're smart. Because you went to UCLA or Pepperdine, he didn't adopt you because of those things, because you're educated. He didn't adopt you because of the color of your skin or because of how much money you have or how little money you have. He didn't adopt you because you're athletic or because you come from a good family or because you're just a nice person. He didn't adopt you for those reasons. No, he adopted you, you know why? Just because. He adopted you just because. He adopted you even though you were a hot mess. That was me. That was a mess. He adopted you even though you were wicked as all get out. He adopted you even though you were broken and lost and needy. He adopted you even when you were at a point where you were addicted to drugs or addicted to porn or addicted to alcohol. He had adopted you even though 
your heart was stone cold or your mouth, and your mouth was filthy or you were arrogant and selfish and you were filled with hate and anger. He adopted you. Why? Just because. And there's a word for just because and it's the word grace. And grace means unmerited favor. In other words, he adopted you even though you didn't deserve to be adopted. That's the idea. Ephesians, we see this in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Paul said, for by grace, just because you have been saved through faith because you believed, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything to get it. You didn't do anything to get God's attention. You didn't do anything to get him to adopt you. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. You see, your adoption to God's family is a gift. God gave you this gift, and he called you to be in his family, which is what we call the church. So if you think about it, if you think about it, the church is nothing more or nothing less than a collection of ragtag, messed up people whom God adopted and whom God saved by his grace. That's what the church is. So you can turn to the person next to you and say, you're messed up. No, don't say that. You don't need to say that. <laughs> but it's no wonder that sometimes we'll butt heads with people in the church because the people in the church, we're not perfect. Pastors aren't perfect. I can tell you that we're still messed up, but we've been adopted and we've been saved. Just like families aren't perfect, churches aren't perfect. And in families, what do you do when someone's not perfect? Well, there are, no one's perfect. What do, you try to, what do families try to do? They, they work it out because they're family. At least they should work it out because they're family, right? And in the church, when we butt heads, what do we try to do? We try to work it out based on Scripture. We try to follow what the Bible says about how we ought to have relationships with one another, like forgiving one another and lifting each other up. And so that's what we do. And I, I know you've heard people say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Can I tell you something? That's not possible. It's not possible for you to love Jesus and not love the church. Do you know why? Because the church is Jesus. He is the head of the church. It's like if, I said, if you said to me, Gary, I love you, but I don't love your family. Sorry, that's not possible. Because if you don't love my family, then you don't love me because my family is me, right? They're, my family, the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh, they are part of who I am. In the same way the church is a part of who Jesus is, who God is, it is the bride of Christ. And so if you love Jesus, you've got to love the church because the church is God's family. And so that's why one of the hallmarks of the church must be love. It's got to be love because that's who God is. God is love. And it's our duty to reflect who he is by loving each other. You know, yesterday morning, I had the opportunity to speak to our men. We had a, a men's gathering, a men's breakfast yesterday morning. Here's a photo from the, from the morning. It was really great. Mark, Mark Anderson was right in the front yelling, Gary for Jesus. It was, so just pump me up, Mark, I'm telling you. Right? And uh, one of the things I told these guys yesterday was, uh, two stories. Uh, they're kind of related to each other. But uh, several weeks ago, um, we received a text, Cheryl and I received a text from our daughter Kylie, who, as you may know, is a uh, first grade teacher in the uh, PV school district. And uh, she just finished, uh, she just wrapped up teaching summer school a few weeks ago. But it was, it was the last week of, uh, last week of summer school. And it was uh, beginning part of the week. And she texted us, she says, 
you'll never believe. You, you'll never believe what just happened. Well, what happened? What happened? She said, one of my students used the F word in class, and he even spelled it out. And she, she was flabbergasted. And we, were, we couldn't believe, like, you're kidding. Six year, a six-year-old boy used the F word in her class. And then I told, and then, by the way, the week before that, one of the boys in her class used the S word. And she couldn't believe that. Uh, how do six-year-olds even know words like that, right? Well, I told the guys another story. About a month and a half ago, I took my family to a baseball game. And uh, we, right behind us sat these four guys. Uh, I didn't turn around and look at them, but, you know, you kind of, side view kind of glimpse. And they were very loud. I'm guessing that they were probably in their 30s, super loud. We heard every word they said. I mean, we heard everything about their conversation because they're so loud. And we deduced from their conversation they were in the medical profession. We could tell they were very smart, except for one thing. Every other word out of their mouth was the F word. Literally every other word was the F word. And uh, one of them, and I thought, to, and then after a few innings, they were also very drunk. But I, I thought to myself, you know, when I got that text from my daughter about that little boy, I thought, boy, one of those guys could have been this boy's father. Right? Why? Because whether you like it or not, kids are a reflection of their parents. Right? That, that's probably where this kid got it from. He probably heard it from his dad, or he might have even heard it from his mom, because I, there are women who talk like that. And the reason why kids are going sideways today is because their parents have gone sideways. And so remember that. If you're a mom or a dad, or even a brother or a sister, an older brother or sister, remember that how you speak and the words that come out of your mouth will be passed on to your kids, and, and your kids will re be a reflection of who you are. In the same way, we need to be a reflection of our Father. Whether you like it or not, we are a reflection of our Heavenly Father. Therefore, how you talk and how you drive, and how you play basketball, and how you conduct yourself at work, and what you post on your social media page, and how you speak to your spouse, and how you treat your kids, and how you conduct yourself with those of the opposite sex, how you interact with strangers, how you treat people who are different from you, how you love one another right here in the church. All of that matters because we are a reflection of our Heavenly Father. This September marks the 30th anniversary of our church. So we're going to have a little celebration. We'll, we'll tell you about it. We're working on some plans uh, to celebrate our 30th birthday. But, you know, when I started South Bay Community Church 30 years ago, I decided that I wanted South Bay Community Church to be like the church in Acts chapter 2, the very first church, Acts chapter 2. I wanted that to be the template for what our church would be like. And so let me put it up here for you, Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. I'm not going to read it to you because and most of you are familiar with this passage, but this is the passage. But I want to just point, I want to highlight some things and point out some things to you, right? In the first church, there was teaching. In the first church, there was fellowship. In the church, church first church, they prayed. There was prayer. And there was worship. And there was evangelism. 
people, the Lord, were, were uh, added to their number day by day. But what really jumped out at me from this passage was the nature of fellowship. The nature of fellowship. Verse 46 said, they broke bread together. They broke bread together. They probably ate a lot of pita bread and hummus and falafel. They, they did it, and they did it in each other's homes. In other words, the nature of their fellowship was that they did life together. They did life together. They hung out together. They ate together. They just were family together. That's what families do. They hang out together. Not only that, verse 45 says, they sold their possessions and belongings and gave the proceeds to anyone as he had need. Notice that, verse 45. The nature of fellowship is that they were willing to bend over backwards to help somebody out. Somebody in the church, they were willing to bend over backwards to just care for each other and to love on each other. You see, their fellowship was characterized by love and by warmth and by kindness. And it's the direct opposite. Think about it. It's the direct opposite of what, what our world is like today. Our world isn't loving. Our world isn't warm. Our world isn't kind. I mean, there are some loving people and there are some kind people and there are some warm people. But for the most part, our world is very unloving and is very cold and is very mean-spirited. It's getting worse by the day. It's getting worse by the day. And this passage, that's why I wanted this passage to be the template for our church. And I think this ought to be the template for every church. Every church in America, every church in the South Bay, every church in the world that names the name of Christ, this ought to be the template for our church. And you would think that it would be, but it's not. I visited plenty of churches in my lifetime. And, there, and a lot of them weren't very loving. And a lot of them weren't very warm. And a lot of them weren't very kind. I've walked into churches and walked out of them without people even saying hello to me or goodbye. And I know you have, you have as well. And that's not okay. That's not okay because we are a reflection of our Father. And our Father is not cold and uncaring. Our Father is warm and loving. And we ought to be a reflection of who He is. Therefore, we ought to be warm and loving and kind and caring to one another. And the challenge we face here at South Bay Community Church is that the larger we get, the easier it is for people to slip through the cracks. The larger we get, the more we grow, the easier it is for someone to walk in through those doors in the front or even through the back without someone ever acknowledging them, without someone ever saying hello to them, without someone making them feel welcome. And... Uh, and then it's so easy, the larger we get, it's so easy for you just to want to talk to the people you know because they're, I don't know all these people. So we just talk to the people we know. And, um, and that's not okay. In order for our church to be like the Acts chapter 2 church, and, there were, and that church started out with 2,000 people, I want to tell you that, which is way more than we have here. But if we want to be the Acts chapter 2 church, then that means everyone who's been adopted into God's family. And my guess is that that's probably nearly all of you. We all need to engage. We all need to be loving. We all need to be warm. We all need to be kind to one another because that's what families do. And this has been my dream from day one, that our church would be like the Acts chapter 2 church. And, and it's still my dream. And, and I see I see it. I mean, I see a lot of this. But, but as I said, as we grow larger, the there are greater challenges, and so I want to just ask you, I want to tell you. I mean, in fact, I'm going to, I'll make this little decree. I mean, I didn't mention this last night, but, you know, so if, you, if you're here for the first time, then you are our guest, all right? Welcome, you are our guest. 
We have a coffee mug for you at the end of the service. Right? But if you've been here twice now, or you've been here three times now, or you've been here 100 times, you're no longer a guest. Right? You're part of the family. All right? So consider yourself part of the family. That's my decree. You're part of the family. And uh, you go out there and love people and show them how warm and kind uh, it is to be part of God's family. Um, let, me, let me add one other thing. And I know I'm probably going to catch some flack for this, but I'm going to say it anyway because as one of your pastors, I, I care, there isn't anything I care more about than your spiritual well-being. Right? I, that's what I care about most. Last week, uh, we learned from Pastor Greg that the Greek word uh, for church is ekklesia. Means it refers to a called out assembly, a called out assembly. Thayer's Greek lexicon says that ecclesia is, quote, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, right? It is an assembly, right? So the church is not only a family, but it is a family that gathers together in an assembly, right? Practically speaking, that means the church is not screen time. The church is not SBCC Live on Facebook or YouTube. The church is not Zoom because you can't do life and assemble with others on a device. Some of you who are watching have been away from church for more than two and a half years, which begs the question, if the pandemic, if this pandemic never goes away, and it may never go away as it morphs and as it changes from one variant to another. The question is, if it never goes away, does that mean you will never come back to church? And uh, to be honest with you, I think that if you never came back to church, the devil would be tickled pink. He would love it if you never came back to church and experienced what we get to experience here every single week. And maybe your reasons for staying away are legitimate. Like maybe you're staying away on doctor's orders. Hey, I get that. You do that. But if you're staying away because you're afraid that you're going to get sick or you're staying away because you've gotten comfortable or you've sta you're staying away because you've gotten the habit of staying away, which is what Hebrews 10, 24 warned us about, do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. If that's you, then I would say to you, you need to get back to church ASAP. Get back to church ASAP. Because this is the dearest place on earth. And I don't mean just come to a service. I mean come back and serve, come back and engage, come back and start doing life with us. Because the church is a family. And we need you just as much as you need us. And there isn't a better place to be than a, than a church in good times and bad times. No, no better place to be than with your family. When you're going through good times and when you're going through bad times. And for those of you who who live in other parts of the country, Oklahoma City and all, all parts of the world who watch us online, man, I, I hope you'll keep watching. And we're so thankful for you. And you need to let us know as often as you can. Stay in touch with us so that we will know how to pray for you and how to, how to care for you. But I want to urge you also to find a church, a local assembly right near where you live so that you can also do life with others. And well, again, like I say, keep watching. But find a place where you can do life with others because that's what the church is. And so come back, all right? Come back. And if you're not comfortable joining us indoors, you can join us outdoors under the tent. And wear a mask. Wear two masks. Wear three masks. I don't care. 
but just come. And we may not recognize you, but I know we will be so glad. We will be so glad to see you, right? The truth is, we need each other, right? We need each other. Just ask the, just ask the 300 plus kids and 200 volunteers who showed up at VBS a few weeks ago. This was, this was our gang. This was our largest VBS in our history ever. Right? Nearly 500 people were here for that, including the volunteers. And why did parents risk sending their kids to VBS during a surge? It was because they knew it was crucial for their kids to assemble with other kids. They knew that the upsides would outweigh the downsides. They knew that in these dark days, their kids needed to be with other kids to learn about God, to worship God. And so they came by the hundreds. Record-breaking number. And for the same reason, next week, nearly 100 of our middle school and high school students are going to pile into two buses and head off for a weekend at Forest Home for their summer youth retreat. Why would parents risk their kids' health? Well, first of all, we're taking every precaution to keep them healthy. We've got all kinds of protocols in place for them to make this trip. And in case someone gets sick, we've got all kinds of protocols in place to make sure they're going to be okay. But parents are willing to do that. They're willing to take the risk because they realize how crucial it is for their teenagers to assemble with other teenagers who love Jesus. Because when they go back to school, they're going to assemble with most of those teenagers that aren't going to know anything about Jesus. And, and they could be a real drag on their lives. Those parents are willing to take the risk because they know how much their, te their teenager needs to be spurred on by people, by other teenagers who love Jesus, how they need to be encouraged and how they need to be built up. And so you see, we all need each other, every one of us, young and old, and all those in between. We need each other because we are family. Let me close with this verse. This is my favorite verse on love, 1 Peter 4, 8. I love this verse. Peter wrote, above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. That word deeply is the Greek word ektene. It comes from ek, like ekklesia. It means out. Teno means to stretch. Therefore, ektene, love each other deeply, means to be stretched out. Ektene was, was a used to describe a horse that was fully stretched out as it headed toward the finish line. You see that horse? They're just straining to reach the finish line. This is how Peter said we are to love. We are to be fully stretched out, straining to love somebody. I mean, going, giving maximum effort, going out of the way without any slack whatsoever, giving it everything we've got. That's how we are to love one another. And that's what I want our church to be. And if we do that, church, if we do that, all of us, then when someone walks through those doors, perhaps for the very first time or even for the 100th time, and they sense the warmth and the love and the kindness of God's family, they will say, indeed, this is the dearest place on earth, and I am home. Amen? Let's close our time in prayer. As we close in prayer, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a quick question. Have you been adopted into God's family? 
because you put your faith and trust in Christ? Oh, I hope you have. But here's the thing. If you haven't, you can be today, right now. You can be adopted into God's family. No need to fill out an application. No need to raise your hand. No need to get in line. Right now, right where you're sitting, right where you're watching, right where you're listening, you can be adopted into God's family. How? By simply telling him that you believe in him. In fact, why don't you do that right now? Wherever you're at, in the quietness of your heart, just say, dear God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus was your son, that he died on a cross for my sins and, and he was raised from the dead. I believe. Adopt me into your family. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. If you just said that, congratulations, because you were just adopted into God's family. Now tell somebody, be sure to tell them, I was adopted into God's family today. Father, thank you so much for the church. Thank you for reminding us today that it's a family. It's also an assembly. And it's so important for us to gather together with our family, just like it's so important for us to, to get together with our family, our blood family. Father, one of these days, just thinking about this, one of these days, well, I'll be gone. I'll be gone. Cheryl will be gone. My kids will be gone. But when I'm gone or when Cheryl's gone, then, you know, really our family, our blood family will kind of cease to exist as our girls go on to make their own family. But you know the cool thing, God, we'll always have family because you gave us a family in the church. So even when we lose our loved ones, even when we lose the people around us, we'll always have family because of the church. And Lord, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for my family, for these people right here, for those who are watching online, some I've met for the very first time just recently. And just, just like Pastor Igor and, and, and Lena, meeting them for the first time, I just felt an instant bond, just immediate, like they're family, because they are. And so, Lord, thank you for the family. Thank you for the church. And God, help us. Lord, help us to follow that template and always be loving and warm and kind to everyone around us because we are a reflection of who you are. And Lord, when we do that, when people walk into this place, they will indeed say, this is the dearest place on earth. So Lord, thank you. And we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.